friends, and welcome to the five keys of identity-based nutrition. And, you know, if you've been in the health world for very long, you're probably very much aware of the different diets and protocols and modalities and supplements, and there's so many things out there. So the goal of this audio is not to try to fit you into some sort of constrictive box or to tell you what you should be doing or what supplements you should be taking. The goal here is to give you some keys that will help you unlock the wisdom and the intuition and the insight that I believe is already within you, and this is just to support that process. So you may be wondering, like, what is identity-based nutrition? And so in this audio, I'm going to give you the basic overview, the basic five keys, and then in future audios, I'll unpack each one just a little bit more, um, you know, just with more detail and with more resources. Okay, so without further ado, let's just dive in. So key number one, let's let's chat about the the processed toxic foods that we're all inundated with that have become so common in our culture. And if you know much about my work, you know that I do not like to give much airtime to negativity. I don't want to talk about processed bad foods and all that stuff. I I like to talk more about what I'm for than what I'm against. And it's really important to be able to have this conversation just for the sake of awareness and for the sake of contrast, because there, there's a lot um, out there that is considered normal in our culture. And I like to say, you know, it's common, but it's not normal. And we want to get a really clear picture of what the real normal can be for us. So key number one is the more you mess with it, the more you have to mess with it. And what that means is the more we tamper with the original design of food, the more we have to mess with the impact of those decisions. And this could be anywhere from you know foods to medications to the level of processing that 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 will take something that originally has been designed for good and turn it into something that is incredibly concentrated so it's addictive. And this happens in a variety of ways. Uh, you know, almost everything in nature at its original source has goodness in it. But when we take that original goodness and we mess with it and we tamper with it, we process it, we concentrate it down uh, to a substance, it, it doesn't really even resemble its former self. And then we have to mess with all of the outcomes of those choices. And this can be with food, it can be with medications, it can really be with anything. And I want you to understand the the foundation behind this because this is is kind of the root issue of so many foods out there that are so toxic to our bodies. And I call those confusing foods. And rather than calling them bad foods or wrong foods, they're just very, very confusing to our bodies because we take those foods in and because they've been so messed with, our bodies don't really know what to do with them. And so they they wreak havoc and they create chaos in the system in lots of different ways. And so then the body has to figure out like, do, how do I get how do I get rid of this? Do I store it? 
it, you know, because it's dysregulating hormones, it's messing with the digestive system, it's, it's messing with all sorts of issues. And so it's literally messing with our body's ability to function at optimal levels. So there are seven confusing foods that I think are very important to understand in order to have the level of health that you really want. And so um, I'm going to go into those foods in a different audio, but I want you to understand the basic concept. The more you mess with it, the more you have to mess with it. Now, I do want to say here that you know, if you struggle with letting go of some of these confusing foods, you are so not alone because these confusing foods have unfortunately been associated with celebrations and parties and and really they get sort of mixed up with um, the type of love and connection that we all want to have because they become the centerpiece of these gatherings and these celebrations. And so it can be confusing. Um, these confusing foods can really confuse us and um, you know our ability to connect. And so if you feel kind of like a a salmon swimming upstream when it comes to letting go of these confusing foods, then then that that is so that is so normal and um, and so understandable in this culture. And that is one of the biggest things that people have to process is how to extricate the 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 true like love and connection and, and realness and wholeness from the old associations that these confusing foods have and have had in our past. So I encourage you when you get the chance to dive into the audio that explains the seven confusing foods and what's going on with them so that you can really become conscious of what's in your food, how it's affecting you, you know, what's in your children's food. And and then you can really ask yourself the question, you know, is this a confusing food? Has it been messed with or is it in alignment with its original design? And when it's in alignment with the original design, it's going to create a natural upward spiral of health. You don't have to try to create that. It just does it on its own. And that leads me to key number two. Key number two is about eating foods that are congruent with who you are. So I hope you can hang in there with me as we unpack this on a more conceptual level. Because, you know, when it comes to nutrition, we're used to thinking in terms of good foods, bad foods, wrong foods, right foods, and it's a little bit more black and white in the way it's presented. But if we can get down to more of the core of it at this identity-based nutrition level, then unlocking your best health becomes so much easier because you understand the foundation of it, which is who you are and eating foods that are congruent with who you are. So When we talk about live foods, we're talking about foods that are pulsating with energy. They're alive. They they need a refrigerator because if they don't have a refrigerator, they're going to die. And you know you're you're alive. You need um, oxygen. You need sunlight. You need water in order to live. As do these foods. You know these foods need sunlight. Uh, They need they're they're full of water. They need um, oxygen in order to live. So you see this comparison of the way our bodies um, are almost like um, these these foods and almost like the the soil from a garden that needs the water and the 
the oxygen and the sunlight in order to thrive. We're very much wired the same way. So when we understand that there's this live component in foods that supports our own life, um, then we can we can see the connection in it all. So you know when it comes to whole. Um, whole foods. Remember, the problem with so many foods is not that they don't come from a natural source, it's that there's so much processing. So the food is no longer whole. So it's been treated and heated, and there's been additives you know, put into it, and it's been extracted, and all sorts of things have happened. Um, you could take something like refined white flour, which I believe go through, goes through like 20 different processes to get from the original design of the wheat berry to the shelf. Or you could take something like pasteurized orange juice versus an organic orange. Contrast those two when you're talking about whole foods. You know, pasteurized orange juice has been extracted, like the juice has been extracted, which causes your blood sugar to rise. And the pasteurization process heats the juice, which causes it to lose the enzymatic integrity. And then, of course, the, the orange has is, is been sprayed with chemicals and pesticides, so you're getting those when you drink the juice. But you contrast that to a whole organic orange, which intrinsically contains the fiber, which slows down the sugar into the bloodstream, so it doesn't create that blood sugar spike. And the enzymes are still intact, so it makes it digestible and absorbable. And, of course, it's not chemically laden. So that the, the takeaway here is... With a few exceptions, whole food is best. It's the way our bodies are wired to be able to, to um, absorb you know, whole food, not food that has been so messed with. So let's zoom in on pure foods. You know, pure foods are foods that have not been sprayed with chemicals and pesticides. And so you're getting the pure version. And so, you know, back to the foundation of identity, if you're a live, whole, pure human being, you need live, whole, pure foods to live congruently with, with who you are. Um, when it comes to this concept of purity, you know, I've, I've, I've attended um, over 20 births in my life. And I have to say, there is no better reminder of our original pure nature than, than seeing a newborn baby come into the world. Because there is this intrinsic, beautiful purity that you can see right there. But, you know, being in a, a toxic, emotionally unhealthy, you know, mentally disturbing culture creates this shroud over us, and we no longer can see that original purity. And so then we eat foods that aren't pure because um, that feels more congruent than the foods that are. So, again, you are a live, whole, pure human being, so it would follow that you need live, whole, pure foods to live congruently with who you are. So how do we make this practical? And of course, there's another audio that dives into congruent foods, what they are, and gives more details about them. But there are three simple questions that you can ask yourself when choosing foods. So ask yourself when you're looking at a, a food to decide whether to eat it, whether to buy it whatever it is, ask yourself first, is this food alive? That's question number one. Question number two is, is it whole? And question number three is, is it a superfood? 
Let's dive into that for a second. Superfoods, my definition at least, um, are foods that are minimally processed to make them more bioavailable for us to eat. And the operative word here is minimally processed. So the less processing, the better. But some foods simply cannot be eaten in their whole food form. So you could take something like spirulina, you know, which is a blue-green algae that grows in the sea. We can't just go and pick that. It has to be minimally processed. Things like raw cacao or bee pollen. You know, there's all sorts of really amazing, deeply nutritious foods that are minimally processed. And supplements would fit into this category because unfortunately our foods have been uh, so um, compromised over time that we used to be able to get all of our nutrients from whole foods. And now we do need some supplementation because we're not getting the amount of nutrients needed from the food because they've been compromised. So this is where supplements come in, in, in these superfoods. So you have things like maca and acai and spirulina and chlorella and um, cacao and so many wonderful superfoods. And again, I'll dive into that more in a future audio. So three questions to ask yourself when choosing foods. Is it alive? Is it whole? Is it a superfood? And that is going to take care of at least 80% of the questions that you might have about whether a food is, is congruent or not. All right, key number three, there is no one-size-fits-all diet. And this key dives into the principle of uniqueness. And I have very personal experience with this because I happen to be an identical twin and you know, the, my twin and I came from one single cell. And then of course that cell divides several times and becomes two different babies. So we are similar in what we need on a nutritional level, but we still have some major differences. And so being an identical twin has been such a good reminder to me that there is this principle of uniqueness for every single person. There are some basic um, you know, principles that I'm laying down as far as confusing or congruent foods, but the types of foods that you need, the amounts, the times, this is very unique to every single person. And I have been in the nutrition world for over 30 years, and I've watched these fads and, and different people saying, you know, this is the diet that works for every single person. It's, it's the ideal human diet. And while there could be some very true principles, be very wary of anyone who says this diet works for everyone. Because what I believe that, that nutrition or, or working with your body and your health is designed to do, it's, it's actually designed to help you dig a little bit deeper into learning how to listen to your own body, learning how to tune in. It's what I call becoming an intuitive eater. Now, that being said, diets and protocols do have their place for certain people at certain times because the way that confusing foods have been so confusing and so messed with that, that things are so chaotic and scattered 
in, on the inside that many people need to do a diet or protocol in order to sort of find their true north again, or to even find a certain structure that gets them back on the right path. And then from there, they can start to tune in and listen to their body. But if you have lots of, of toxic, confusing foods rolling around in your system, trying to be an intuitive eater is almost impossible because you're, you're getting all sorts of signals that are incredibly confusing. So diets and protocols will help you get kind of back on track. And then from there, you, you want to discern for yourself when it's time to, to set yourself free, to not be on any sort of diet or protocol, but to start to practice facing yourself, facing the signals and the sen- sensations that your body is giving you and learning how to interpret them. Because your body not only knows how to heal itself, it also knows how to communicate with you. And it does so in the language of feelings and sensations and symptoms. And the more that you learn to interpret that, the more you become what I call an intuitive eater, which is really, um, you, you have a relationship with your own body that no one can take from you. And um, it's a really powerful thing because you're not waiting for anyone else to tell you what you should or shouldn't be doing. You have connected to the intuition that's already inside of you. So one of the ways to do that is uh, to share with you a little bit more about key number four. Key number four is bring your body to a place of peace before you eat. This is also known as the practice of mindfulness with eating. And I learned a lot about this from a guy by the name of Mark David. He is the founder of the Institute for the Psychology of Eating. And I've personally um, been at some of his conferences, and, and he is just brilliant in helping people understand that it's not just what you're eating, it's really more about how you're eating. Meaning, are you in a stress response while you're eating, or are you in a relaxation response? So your body cannot actually digest, absorb, and assimilate food when it's in a stress response because digestion shuts down and absorption is compromised. But when you are in a relaxation response, then your body can actually open up and absorb all of those nutrients you're putting in, and it has the extra energy to work with even toxic foods that are going in. So his work has been hugely instrumental in integrating something that I I um, recommend to my clients and, and we do at our retreats, and it's something called the meal ritual. And the meal ritual is a, a practice that you want to do before you eat, during, and after. And it's just, it's giving you a way or a structure, a way to approach your meal in a way that helps you get into that place of peace before you eat and while you're eating and after so that you approach a meal with with mindfulness, with consciousness, with um, awareness, and you're actually able to enjoy the practice um, of eating and the experience of eating rather than um, the way that, you know, so many Americans are, we just kind of like, you know, tend to scarf down our food and move on rather than being really present with the whole experience. Okay, let's move on to key number five, which is really a a super important one because it is the foundation for all of the decisions that we make regarding food and the habits that we have. 
And key number five is that you will eat according to who you believe yourself to be. And what I mean by that is that most of us have been so programmed to see ourselves through some sort of lens, some sort of identity when it comes to food. So we adopt an identity based on past experiences and food associations and programming where we see ourselves a certain way. And this could be positive or negative. We could see ourselves as a healthy eater, someone who easily eats when they're hungry or stops when they're full. We could see ourselves as someone who really loves exercise or loves to take care of ourselves. And and we probably see ourselves that way because it's been programmed into us. And if on the other hand, it hasn't been, and um, we have adopted all sorts of beliefs about ourselves as eaters or ourselves in general about our worthiness or our value, then we're going to eat according to that belief. So if at a deep level you you believe that there's you don't have worth or value, then you're not going to take care of your body. If you believe yourself to be someone who just, you know, isn't really an exercise person, you'll probably find it difficult to get out of bed and, and go exercise before you um, head to work. Or if you see yourself as someone who um, has, you know, maybe taken on an identity of um, always having to struggle with food or an identity of being an emotional eater or someone who struggles to to really take care of yourself, then then that is that belief or that identity is going to inform your choices. And the key here is to remember that this is all programming. It's not necessarily the truth about who you are or what's possible for you, but it is definitely, uh, it feels so real and it definitely affects you on a, on a daily basis. So If, however, you are willing to see yourself through the lens of value and worthiness or beauty or strength and begin to process, you know, whatever you need to process to see your true self, then the, you know, the process of health becomes so much easier because you're not fighting these deep false beliefs about you. And in in my mind, this final key may well be the most important Because when we become rooted in our true identity, not only does our body respond to that truth, but the truth-based belief leads to truth-based emotions. And those emotions lead to the truth-based thoughts. The thoughts lead to habits that send us on an upward spiral of health. So you can see each of these things layer on each other. And I know we're talking about some very deep-rooted things, but I found that those are, um, getting to the deep root of it is the key to unlocking a deep level of health that is lasting. It's not some sort of fad diet. It's not going away anytime soon because it is, it's, uh, it's locked in because you believe the truth about who you are. So there you have it, the five keys of identity-based nutrition. And remember that each of these keys have an audio that goes with them that, that gives you more details, more nuance, more practical support. And all of it is just to help you get clearer on the wisdom and the intuition that is inside of you for your own body. 